Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you don't mind, take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. The book of 2 Corinthians and chapter number 10. The book of 2 Corinthians and chapter number 10. We're in a current Sunday school series dealing with the idea of truths that every Christian needs to know. And we know that when someone knows Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, there are certain things that every Christian needs to know for themselves. That they need to know what the Bible says and how important these things are. For example, we've covered the idea that every Christian needs to know that the Bible is the Word of God. That all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction as righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That we know that the Bible says so many things about the Christian life and how to live the Christian life. That last week we explained that we, the Lord is our guide. That God can guide us in every bit of our Christian life. He can guide us. We've hit a whole bunch of different other subjects. But now we hit something else that's vitally important. And if you don't mind, look with me in the book of the book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. The book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 3. 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. 2 Corinthians chapter number 10, starting at verse number 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 3. And notice what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 3. It says, For though we walk in the flesh... We do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through the God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought into the obedience of Christ. In this passage, we clearly see what the Bible says here. That we do not war after the flesh. We do not war after the flesh. We know that we are not engaged in a physical battle, but we are engaged in a spiritual battle. That every person who has accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, they are engaged in a very real warfare. Just as real as our military um, men and women are fighting and defending in a very real war. As they're going out defending, they're dealing with all kinds of things. It is very real. Our spiritual warfare is very, very real. That we do have enemies. We do have war, uh, things that we warfare. Notice if you don't mind as we look at this passage. And notice in verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, meaning that we walk in this body, we're here. We do not war after the flesh. Meaning that you are in the spiritual warfare, you're not taking the sword and fighting someone. Right, Josh? You're not taking a sword, you're not stabbing someone, you're not taking a gun and shooting someone. But we are engaged in a warfare. Notice in verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Meaning, again, not a gun, not a sword, not something you're grabbing a hold. But 
they are still mighty. We have mighty weapons through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, what's a stronghold? We got some young ones in here. What's a stronghold? Like a fort, like a castle. So the weapons of our warfare are able to pull down strongholds, castles, fortresses, spiritual fortresses. The weapons of our warfare are pretty mighty that they're able to pull down strongholds in people's lives. Notice if you don't mind in verse number five. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into, every, into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So we're talking about spiritual warfare and that we said that we have mighty weapons and it's mighty enough to pull down strongholds. By the way, if you are outside someone's castle, are you on the offensive or the defensive? Are you attacking or defending? You're attacking if you're outside someone else's castle. Because we're talking about pulling down strongholds. You don't want your walls to be pulled down, right? You want the enemies to be pulled down. So here we're talking about offensive weapons. That it's not just defensive, it's offensive. That we could see victories. We could see those strongholds put down. Then it explains that here's where it starts off with. Casting down the imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So how do these strongholds get there anyways? We know that they're not physical strongholds. They're spiritual strongholds. But some people have in their life spiritual castles, fortresses that the enemy has built. Where do they come from? Well, if we could again use a crude illustration, the old time castles were made out of what? Brick, rock, very good. All right, so imagine if you'd mind that the battleground is always, it starts in the mind. So let's take a thought that doesn't serve God, that's against God, that um, is not what we should be thinking about, but we don't get rid of the thought. Where does that thought go? Well, just like a brick, it gets laid down. And it doesn't look like it's much, but then another thought comes. And you don't deal with the thought properly. And you place it down. And then another thought, and another thought, and another thought. And eventually, in someone's mind, a whole fortress is built. And the person cannot get victory over those thoughts. Those thoughts come and it is a stronghold. It is something. Let's say that someone who is addicted to pornography. That what happens is that they've allowed their thoughts. And not taking care of the thoughts. And it's built a nice fortress. A huge fortress. And that fortress is imposing. It's big and you go how do I pull this down? I can't pull it down. Well the weapons of our warfare are mighty. To the pulling down of strongholds. This is the spiritual warfare that we're talking about. Getting victory in people's lives. Pulling down strongholds that Satan, the world, the flesh, the devil have placed in our lives by our thoughts. So think about something that you... And use your imagination and imagine that in someone's life, they have something that they can't get victory over. 
Let's say that they're bitter against someone. They hate someone. They did someone wrong. Someone did something wrong to them. And they keep thinking about it over and over. And the more that they think about it, the more of a stronghold that gets in their life. And even if they don't, if they want, don't want to think about the person anymore because it's such a stronghold, it just keeps being in their life. Can someone get victory over this? The answer is yes. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. This is where people live at. This is what they need. They need spiritual victory from the strongholds that are built inside of their life. Whether it's addiction, whether it's bitterness, whether it's sin, whether it's something else. They, people have strongholds and they can be pulled down. This is the spiritual warfare that we're engaged in. This is the spiritual warfare that we can have victory through Jesus Christ in these areas of our life. So with this, let's examine the warfare that we have. First of all, we understand that Jesus Christ is our captain. Jesus Christ is our captain. Now, in the Bible days, they say the word captain. Today, we would understand this is the highest rank of biblical times. So he's our four-star general. He's the boss. He's the commanding officer. He's the one that tells us what to do. That he is the boss. He's our captain. In the spiritual warfare, Jesus Christ is our captain. The greatest conflict that was ever fought was waged against devil and sin when Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary. When Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary, he died for our sins. When he rose again the third day, he proved that he was God and proved that God was satisfied with the payment that was made. That Jesus Christ won the victory. We are facing, we have as our captain, the one who's already won the victory over death, hell, and the grave. Because of Jesus Christ, we no longer have to die and go to hell. That's a wonderful thing. Jesus won that battle. Because Jesus Christ died and rose again, that Satan has already been defeated. We can read the end of the book. Jesus won. Because Jesus Christ died and rose again, that sin no longer has power in our life. Meaning that we don't have to sin anymore. Jesus Christ has already won the, the battle. Now, isn't that a wonderful thing? The guy who's in charge of all the troops, he won. He's defeated everyone. I want to face the winner. I don't want to face the loser, or I don't want the loser to lead me in a battle. I want the guy who always wins. Jesus Christ is our captain. He's already defeated everything. Jesus Christ, according to the book of Revelation 1.18, he says, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living, no matter what men may say. I hear his voice of mercy. I see his, <coughs> hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me. How I know he lives, he lives within my heart. 
You know, what a wonderful thing that our captain is the one who won the battles already. And as long as we trust him, as long as we obey him, he can win the other battles that we face. He can help through his power. He can destroy those strongholds that are built in people's lives. That they can't get rid of themselves. He can pull them down. He can destroy them. He can get rid of them. He is our captain. Not only is he our captain, but we also have an army. Aren't you glad that we have an army? The Bible talks about the book of Matthew. Look, if you don't mind with me, in the gospel record of Matthew chapter number 16. Matthew chapter 16. Notice, if you don't mind, in Matthew 16, Jesus pulls his disciples aside and he asks them a question. Matthew 16, and notice with me in verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So this is a good question. He grabs his disciples, his twelve, and says, All right, boys, who do people say that I am? So his disciples begin to give him answers of what people around have said about Jesus. Verse 14, And some say that thou art John the Baptist. Some say thou art Elias, or others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. All right, so here's um, what people are saying. Some people say he's John the Baptist. Do you know that John the Baptist never performed a miracle? But people would travel 30 miles on foot to go hear John the Baptist preach. What, why was they referring to Jesus Christ as John the Baptist? Because John, Jesus was known for his preaching. Oh man, he's John the Baptist. He's known for his preaching. Wow, we want to go hear Jesus preach. Some said that Jesus was not John the Baptist. Some people said thou art Elias. Elias is the uh, Greek term for Elijah. Elijah was known for his miracles. Elijah, this is the guy who rained down fire from heaven. Not just once, but several times. It talks about that he was on Mount Carmel and they had the... Um, excuse me, the, the different prophets of Baal set up. And Elijah just said a prayer and fire came down from heaven. Later on, they had someone who's going to arrest him, an officer and 50 troops. They came to arrest Elijah and he said, nope. And he prayed down fire, raced them all. Another group of 50 came up and they said, we're coming to arrest you. Nope, Woof, fire came down. And the other group of 50 came down and this captain went down and said, please don't kill me. I'm just doing my job. And Elijah said, okay, let's go. <laughs> Could you imagine raining down fire with your prayers? He was known for his miracles. Well, Jesus Christ was known for his miracles. Who do say, who people say that I am? You're John the Baptist because of your preaching. Some people said you're Elijah because of your miracles. Others, they say he's... Um, Jeremiah or one of the prophets what was Jeremiah known for well he was known for his prophecies Jeremiah talked about the 70 um, that the people would be put in Babylonian captivity for 70 years he talked about uh, different things that would happen in the future as well as the prophets and they talked about things well Jesus was known for his prophecy some people said he's like Jeremiah he's like one of the prophets because of the way that he predicts the way that he talks about future events it's so real it's like it's here notice what Jesus now says 
And he saith to them, but whom say ye that I am? So that's a good question too. Whom do people say that I am? Now, who do you say that I am? Who am I? So someone, the disciples, tell me, who am I? Well, Peter raises his hand, verse 16. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. So, Jesus, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of the living God. You're God. I know who you are. You're God. Well, verse 17, Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. So, Peter, that's the right answer. I'm God. Verse number 18, he adds to this, But I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, and when Jesus said this rock, he's pointing to himself, and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, here we have another warfare thing. All right, we talked about that if you were outside of a stronghold and pulling down the walls, are you offense or defense? Offense, you're attacking. Now, here's another illustration. Here is the gates of hell, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, meaning those gates will not keep you out from charging on that. Now, again, is this offensive or defensive offense you're on their gates you're bursting through their gates all right so here we see a lot about the christian life that we are not on the defensive we're on the offensive and even the gates of hell shall not stop god's church now we see here not only do we have a captain but we also have an army what is the army? Well, Jesus said, I will build my church. That God has instituted each local church to be his offensive body to go take ground, to go pull down the strongholds, to break down the gates of hell, to go and see people have victories in their life. That's the whole thing about the Christian life is that we should be seeing victories in people's lives, pulling down of strongholds, freeing them from victory from sin from uh from bitterness from anger from other things that have built up in their life they are able to be pulled down we should be able to see victory all the time we should be going forth boldly because we have an army god has put the local church here so we can see victories in people's lives isn't that exciting that we have a captain a general who can never lose we like that. We want to be on the winning side. We have also an army. We have a great army that God has instituted each local church to be seen victories won all the time. But this, we have to turn to the other side. We have an enemy. We have an enemy. The Bible talks about that we fight against spiritual darkness in high places. That we don't fight against flesh and blood. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of Ephesians, chapter number 6. The book of Ephesians, chapter number 6. The book of Ephesians, chapter number 6. And let's pick it up in verse number 10. The book of Ephesians, Ephesians, chapter number 6. And in verse number 10. 
Ephesians 6 and verse 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Notice in verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. What that means is that people are not our enemies. Sometimes we have to be reminded of that people are not our enemies. If nothing else, people are often victims of the spiritual warfare. You have someone who's stuck in sin, they're a victim. And they could be rescued. They could be delivered. We, they, Jesus can help them. He could free them from their bonds. Imagine that they're slaves and they're stuck in the bondage of sin. You know who could free them? Jesus Christ. So the people who's in bondage, they are not our enemies. People are not our enemies. It doesn't matter whether they're Democrat or they're Republican. They are not our enemies. It doesn't matter if they're Hollywood superstar, a singer. It doesn't matter if they're someone who believes different than us. People are not our enemies. They are the ones who need rescued. So what is our enemy? What is our enemy? Well, the Bible says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Spiritual darkness in high places, the Bible says. The Bible says clearly that we have three enemies. Three enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world carries the idea of the world system, not the people of the world and not the actual dirt, but it's the world system. The world system is against God. And not only is it against God, we use the term antichrist. The word anti doesn't always mean against. It carries the idea of replacing so the world, what it wants to do is it wants to replace Christ. It wants to give people a substitute to Jesus. So instead of depending on Jesus, you depend on counseling. Instead of depending on Jesus, you depend on the government. Instead of depending on Jesus, you depend on entertainment. Instead of depending on Jesus, you depend on, on uh, medicines, alcohol, drugs, sex, anything else. We see that we don't fight against flesh and blood. But we fight against spiritual darkness in high places, principalities and powers. One of the big enemies is the world. The world wants people to trust in something other than God. It's against God. It wants to replace God. It wants to remove God from people's lives. That is not going to allow people to have victories. People who are trusting in something other than God, they will not have victories in their life. So we have one of the enemies is the world. The second enemy... Is this flesh? And to be honest, this is the biggest enemy we face. Remember that we talked about before that we're supposed to take every thought captive. Someone who is saved, meaning they've accepted Jesus Christ as their personal savior, they cannot be possessed by a devil. Meaning Satan can't come into you if you've been saved. Why? Because you're filled with the Holy Spirit. God is saved. You got all the Holy Spirit you're going to get. There's not room for anything else. God's already there. Isn't that a wonderful thing? But when Jesus Christ comes to save us and the Holy Spirit moves in, 
you don't eradicate your old nature. Now you have two natures. You have the nature that wants to follow God and the nature that wants to please itself. And they are at war with each other. Someone made an illustration like this. That a preacher was out with a farmer and was visiting with a farmer. And he watched his two dogs were wrestling around. And the preacher went to the farmer and said, which one's going to win? And the farmer said, the one that I feed the most. Well, that's true. Whichever part of you that you feed the most, your flesh or your spirit, that's what's going to win when it comes time to make a spiritual decision. When it comes time to make a spiritual decision, whichever one is stronger. So let's say that you're with uh, some friends and your friends want to go get in trouble. You say, how do I know what I'm going to do? Well, have you been in your Bible? Have you been praying? Then you're probably not, if you haven't been doing those things, not going to have enough spiritual strength to say no to your friends who want to go do something they're not supposed to. When it comes time to, you haven't been in your Bible, you haven't been in prayer, and now you have some private time by yourself, you may not have a spiritual strength to resist temptation in yourself, in your flesh. Your flesh, by the way, doesn't want to die. It doesn't want to serve God. It doesn't want to be pleasing to God. It wants to do what makes itself happy. Do you know that there's sometimes if you're going to serve God, there's some things that you choose not to do in your life. They may not be sinful, but you choose not to do in order to follow after him. Well, your flesh doesn't like that. Your flesh rebels and it will fight against you. Your flesh likes to use feelings. Do you know that your feelings can lie to you? The Bible says your heart, it's wicked. It's desperately wicked. It is deceitful. The Bible says, who can know it? Do you know that your own heart will lie to you? That's part of your flesh. Your flesh will lie to you. The only thing that you could trust is God's word. And the Bible says that we fight against not only the world, but we fight against the flesh. But there's also a third enemy that we fight, and that's the devil. That the devil hates God and hates God's work, and he wants to destroy it. The Bible gives an illustration in the book of um, Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 14, and it speaks of three men. It speaks of Noah, Daniel, and Job. Noah, Daniel, and Job. It said that all three of these men won victories. Noah, what did he win against? The world, the flesh, or the devil? The world. Very good. That the whole world didn't want to serve God and the whole world didn't want to win. But Noah built an ark in obedience to God and he got on the boat and was saved with him and his family. He won the victory over the world when the whole world was against God and said, no, don't build a boat. You're crazy, Noah. And he obeyed God anyways and he was saved. He won a victory. So you come to Noah. Then you come to Daniel. What did Daniel win victory over? The world, the flesh, or the devil? No, not quite. So one more. The flesh. Very good. Remember that no, uh, <laughs> Daniel was taken as a young teenager. He was taken into the courts of Babylon. And they tried to feed him the king's meat. They tried to feed him some things which was against the Jewish dietary laws. And if he ate the meat, would anybody blame him? No. 
So what he had to do was that even though he could have eaten it and got away with it, he chose not to in order to be pleasing to God. So he won victory over the flesh. And God honored him for it and made him wise and put him in a high position because he said no to his flesh. So you had Daniel, Daniel who said no to his flesh. You had Noah who said no to the world. So then we have Job. What did he get victory over? The devil. That one's kind of easy because it said the devil went to go hurt him, right? The devil plagued him. But you know, the whole time that Satan tried to attack Job, the Bible says that Job did not sin against God with his lips. He said, blessed be the name of the Lord. God giveth and he taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That even though Satan was attacking Job, Job still said, God is always good and God is always right. He won victory over the devil. And so we have three biblical illustrations who were fighting against the enemy and they could win through the power of Jesus Christ. By the way, you could defeat the enemy through the power of Jesus Christ, whether it's the world, the flesh, or the devil. That we have an enemy, we have to realize we do have an enemy who hates us, but we could win. Which also brings us to one more thing, we have weapons. Remember, our weapons of our warfare are not carnal, meaning you don't have a gun or a sword, something you're just slashing around with. But they are still mighty through the pulling down of strongholds. So what is our weapons? Well, we're still in Ephesians 6. Notice with me, if you don't mind, as we continue on. Notice with me in verse 13. Now, let me pause here. Today, don't we have some amazing weapons for our military? Do you know our weapons in our military? They could do something. They could have lasers. So they could have some Marines put some lasers on a target. And then the bombs that come from the planes go hit the place where the laser's at. Isn't that amazing? That's pretty uh, precise. We have the technology now that we could have a missile that's flying through the air and it has a camera through it. And you could actually watch the things going on there all the way to the person going, ah, and the missile hits them. You guys aren't laughing today. That's fine. Don't we have some amazing technology don't we, aren't we able to build some amazing things to help fight wars? Now, let me take a pause here. Is God smart? Is God smarter than us? Now, if God is smarter than us, don't you think the weapons that he chose for us are better than any military weapon? So let's look and see what the weapons of our warfare. Notice with me in verse number 13, Ephesians 6 verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. So he's given us an armor that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, to stand. Stand, therefore, having first of all your loins girt around with truth. So you know the first part of our armor is truth. Truth is on our side. That if we girt ourselves with truth, we are protected in a vulnerable area, that God has protected us with truth. That's why we could stick with the Bible. That is truth. God's word will never fail us. Having on the breastplate of righteousness. So here's another piece of armor, righteousness, that if we're doing right things, we're going to be protected. If you're not doing right things, then it's easy for people to shoot you and accuse you and say, you did wrong, you messed up, right? But if you're doing what's right, it's harder for them to get to you and say you were doing wrong. 
so having a breastplate of righteousness, having your feet shod with the preparation of, of the gospel of peace. Some of the silliest things I've ever saw was someone out with a whose suit of armor, but having bare feet. If I was going to go fight someone in a battle, hand to hand, and they had bare feet, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to crush their feet. It's vulnerable. Squish that thing. That's one of the reasons why I can't stand flip-flops. That's what I want to do is wear cowboy boots and squish. Because they're vulnerable. They're, that's a place where they're, they're not protected. Well, the Bible says we can be protected in a vulnerable spot by the preparation of the gospel of peace, meaning that we're going out and telling people about Jesus Christ. There's protection there as we're purposely going out to do the Father's business to moving forward, going forward. Whenever you're standing still, it's easier for someone to get you. Let's give this example. All right, Josh, have you been shooting guns before? Bow and arrow? We need to take you out and go stuff. All right, your airsoft gun, all right? Is it easier to shoot someone who's standing still or someone who's moving? Standing still, right? Because you could take your time and aim and do all that stuff. Well, here's the idea here, that if you're moving forward in your Christian life and telling people about the gospel and obeying, you're moving, it's harder to shoot a moving target, right? That gives you protection. Moving forward, not standing still, say, please don't hit me, please don't hit me, and covering up, you make an easy target. All right? Notice as it goes on, verse 16. And above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. We could take the shield of faith and say, I'm trusting God. I'm protecting God. And almost like Batman's cow to protect yourself from the fire. It's coming, right? For those young who like comics. You know, protecting yourself. Satan blows the fire, you take the shield. Throwing darts, you take the shield. If you have a nice metal shield, what are little darts going to do? Just bounce right off. So you have the shield of faith, meaning I trust in God. God's still good. God's still right. That protects you from the things that are being shot at you. Notice with me in verse 7. And take the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation carries the idea that you know that you know that you know that you're saved. You know according to the Bible that you're saved. You have the helmet of salvation. It protects you. It protects your head. It protects your mind. That if you don't know that you're saved well, then you're going to have a hard time going forward because your head's not protected. You know, when even today, soldiers, if they're out in a war zone, what do they have to wear? A helmet because they don't want their head. That's pretty important. If you had to have a choice between having your head shot or your arm shot, what would you choose? Arm. Why? Because you need your head. It's got important stuff in there, right? <laughs> so here, you're not going to go out into the to the battlefield if you don't have your head protected. How do you have your head protected? By knowing without a doubt that you're saved, that you're forgiven of your sins, that you're going to heaven, that you have to have your, the, your head protected with the helmet of salvation. Now we come to the, other, the only offensive weapon. The rest of this is defensive to protect us. The only offensive weapon, which is better than any missile with a camera on it, better than any laser pointer, is... The sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit. Now, do this illustration with me. If we were to hold our sword, take your Bible, go ahead and close it, and put the spine in the palm of your hand. All right, so hold it. 
All right? And so hold it flat. Let's say that all you had, all you did was hear the word of God. Put your pinky. That's as all the grip that you have on your sword. How would you like to go in a fight with just a pinky grabbed around your sword? Well, that wouldn't be very effective. Well, you add to it not only hearing the word of God, but reading the word of God. So let's say that you hear the preaching of God's word, and then you read it from time to time. Well, that's all the grip that you have on your sword. It's a little bit better, but I wouldn't want to go fight someone with that. You have to add to it the next finger, study. Study to show thyself approved unto God. Well, it's a little bit better grip, but you're not going to win a battle with it. You have to add to it, memorize. You're supposed to memorize scripture. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against thee. Then you add your thumb to it. And you get to the idea of meditate. The word meditate kind of means to mull over, to think over it over and over, to have it in your mind. So now you finally got a good grip. Now you have to practice. You have to use it often until you're familiar with it. Then you go to proficient with it until you specialize in it. Then you master it. The only time you're going to win the battle is if you finally get a good grip on your Bible and master it. But if you don't know how to use your weapon, are you going to win battles? Are you going to pull down strongholds? Are you going to see victories? No. And we wonder why most Christians live a victoryless life is because they don't know how to use their weapon. But this is a, a better weapon than any M16. This is a spiritual weapon. This is better than any missile. This is better than any sword. This is the sword of the spirit that God has given us. The only offensive weapon. So we understand that we have a spiritual arsenal here. We have weapons of our warfare. We have armor. We have uh, a sword. And the spiritual warfare is real. That we have the captain of our army, Jesus Christ, who has won the battle of death, hell, and the grave and is not lost. We know that we have... <laughs> An army that each local church is the army to go see victories. We have an enemy, the world, the flesh, and the devil. They're all against God. But Jesus can win the, the battle against them all and we can be used. And then we understand that we have weapons. We have the armor of our warfare and the only weapon, the sword of the spirit. And remember that God wants to see victories. That it says the pulling down of the strongholds, the fortresses and the castles. They can't withstand when God's there. That the, the gates of hell, they shall not prevail against it. Jesus Christ can win victory after victory after victory. But all of us are engaged in a spiritual war. That we need to be in the front lines and seeing victories all the time. Because God can win the victories. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 
920-530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.